will be streaming live soon. Please stand by. We'll 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 be streaming live soon. Pelas mãos que batem nua, uma voz chama o seu nome. Esperança se criou. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Na escuridão ele responde: Silas, aqui estou. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Você sabe, irmão Silas. Paulo fala com amor. A morte esteve perto. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. E quando abri meus olhos, vi o rosto de Jesus. E aqui Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Carregando a cruz. E eu. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Happy Monday morning. This is Matt here with Rick Bonfin Ministries coming at you uh, in Jesus' name this morning. We're starting this morning from John chapter 16. We're going to be doing verses 4 through 7. Um, but I'm going to pray really quick and then we're going to get started. Thank you, Jesus, for this word. Father, I pray that your spirit would come upon anything that I have to say today. Um, and use your words, not mine. I pray, Lord, that the people at the other end of this, God, whoever's listening, whoever needs to hear what you have to say, I pray, Jesus, that you would cut to their heart and put, put your word in their heart this morning. I thank you for your continued grace on our lives. It's in your name, amen. Um, so, <clears throat> we've been teaching out of the book of John uh, for about a couple months now, and um, we're doing here chapter 16, and we started, you know, this kind of dissension that Jesus had with his disciples all the way back uh, in chapter 14 where he kind of sat them down uh, after the last Passover and said, hey, uh, some things are about to happen and I need you to be comforted and I need you to be strengthened uh, while these things are going on. So um, <clears throat> we've arrived here in John chapter 16 and the past, ca- past couple of verses have talked about persecution. And so Jesus now wants to kind of reshift the narrative once again uh, and talk to his disciples about something else. So we're going to Start reading here in verse 4. It says, But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them, and these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go to him who sent me, and none of you ask where I go. But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you a truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him unto you. So, <clears throat> let's give a little context here. If you haven't been following along with us every morning, 
Um, Jesus and the disciples are about to go through a very serious transition um, in his life, not only in his life, but in the um, overarching view of his ministry. Jesus is about to move from a, to, into a different type of um, season. Okay, And so the disciples are aware of this because Jesus has been hammering this point home to them throughout the entirety of his ministry. If we look back in Luke chapter 18, Jesus said the same thing, um, that he was going to have to go away, suffer many things, die, and then be raised again the third day. So <clears throat> Jesus has been telling them that this is going to come, but now it's here. And so the disciples are going through a very serious transition in their spiritual walk with Jesus. It's important to remember that before Jesus came, the disciples were, all, were none of them walking in ministry. Okay? You've got to understand that Peter, Andrew, John, and James, we've got to remember that these guys were, were fishermen, some of them. Matthew was a tax collector and a sinner. Okay? And most of them were just some poor old country boys from Galilee. And so before Jesus came, these guys were very um, disconnected from God. Okay? And so they were very much so on their own in this world. And they'd been living in a very secular world for the most part. And so when Jesus came, things radically changed for these guys. Okay? The entirety of the trajectory of their life changed. Now, it's also important to remember that for 397 years before Christ came, there was no word from God. Okay? And so God had been silent, so to speak. He really wasn't silent, but had been silent to the people of Israel. And so they'd been praying and praying and praying, saying, God, please send the Messiah, please send the Messiah, please send the Messiah. And the Messiah came, and his name was Jesus, right? And so for three years, three and a half years really, Jesus has been doing some amazing things. And he's been ushering in the kingdom of God, okay? And so everywhere that Jesus went, things were changing. Blind men were seeing, lame men were walking, sick people were being healed, demons were being cast out. And the people of Israel were in a fervor right now, at this very moment in time. They were in a fervor, because everything that they had prayed for was coming to pass. Okay? And they were excited, because God was doing something. For the first time in 400 years, God was doing something. But now we're here in John chapter 16. Right? And Jesus is saying, I've got to go. And the disciples are like, huh? What? Time out, Jesus. <laughs> you've got to go? <laughs> what do you mean you've got to go? You're the Messiah. You're our Savior. And you're leaving? And so the disciples are going through a season transition. They are transitioning from the season of Jesus being Jesus for three years on his earthly ministry, and they're moving into a new season. Now, they don't like it. They don't like what's happening. They're sorrowful, it says here. John chapter 16. You see, the disciples are at a very interesting place in the life of Jesus. The disciples are at a place where they believe at this point that Jesus is leaving. But they don't understand the ramifications of what that means quite yet. And so they're in a very difficult uh, gap here. Okay, Because what you've got on the one side, you have Jesus' three and a half years of ministry. And on the other side, you have verse 7, the Holy Spirit's coming. But in between that time, their faith is about to be really stretched. Okay? Because what's about to happen to Jesus is Jesus is about to die. And the disciples understand that. What they don't understand is that Jesus' death is actually going to be good for them. Right? That's what it says here in verse 6. But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow has filled your heart. How many of us feel that way right now? 
with the world that we see around us, many of us feel the exact same way the disciples feel right now. We may have experienced our view of what being with Christ was like for the past however many years, however long we've been walking with Jesus. But what's happening in our world today is shaking up that perception. I believe that in the United States of America, at least, we're in a transition of season. Okay? Just like these disciples were in John chapter 16. So we have to understand that when Jesus says, I'm going away, even as He said this for these disciples, it doesn't mean that He's done. And that's the place that the disciples are at right now. Okay? The disciples are in a, a vacuum of understanding. Okay? They're in this place of understanding of understanding on one end of the deal that Jesus is going to die and He's got to do this thing. But they don't comprehend quite yet is verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you a truth. It is expedient or good for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Comforter will not come. But if I depart, I will send Him unto you. Okay? So remember, the disciples have experienced Jesus in the human form. Okay, they've experienced Jesus for three and a half years. They've experienced God in this way. And this is the only way they've experienced God. And so it's hard for them to understand what's about to happen with them in Acts chapter 1. So turn with me to Acts chapter 1, when Jesus made this promise. Okay, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He said, But you shall receive power. This is after His resurrection. After the Holy Spirit is come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the outermost part of the earth. Okay, and then we flip all the way over to verse 2, I mean chapter 2. It says, When the day of Pentecost was fully come, this is verse 1, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared upon them cloven tongues of fire, fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, the disciples are in the in-between right now. There's going to be times in all of our lives as believers where we're going to experience this kind of gap. Okay? Jesus may have started doing one thing with us in a certain way. Or he may have started walking with us in a certain way. Okay? But then there's going to be times where He's going to say to us, I've got to go. <laughs> I've got to go and I've got to change up the narrative here. And we're going to be like, whoa, time out, Jesus. Um, are you leaving me? Are you, are you leaving me forever? Are you not going to be with me anymore? Because those are the questions that are in the disciples' heads. And oftentimes we can find ourselves in a similar place when Jesus says, well, I've got to do something that may not look on the outside like it's good for you. Okay? But in the end game, we have to continue to believe what Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, that all things work together for the good of those who are called and those who love God. We have to trust God even in the difficult moments. You see, Jesus' death and subsequent resurrection was not Him leaving the disciples. Understand that. When Jesus died and rose again and ascended into heaven, He was not going away. He finished the work so something new could come. This is perfectly illustrated or said better than I can say it in Hebrews chapter 1. Turn with me. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. I'm, I'm running us through it here. Let, let me get there real quick. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. <clears throat> it's talking about Jesus. It said, Who being the brightness of His glory, God's glory, and the express image of His person, 
and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had, it's just verse 3, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Okay. So what, what, am, I, what am I saying by saying that? What I'm saying is, is that when Jesus finished the work, he went home. Okay. It's not that Jesus retreated and went back. Okay. It's not that Jesus' death and resurrection was like, oh, this is too much. I can't stay here anymore. I've got to go home. I can't do it. Father, I need a vacation at the summer house on Heaven's Beach, number three. That's not what was going on. Okay. The reason that Jesus went back is because his work for the first advent on earth was finished. He said this in John chapter 19, verse 28 through 30, hanging on a cross, when he said, it is finished. It is done. Okay? And so everything that needed to happen for the disciples to move into this new season and to become a new creation was finished by Jesus Christ on the cross. Okay? And so because of what Jesus did, the Holy Spirit could come, which was always the end game. The end game was not God to be just with us. The end game was for God to be in us. And that's what Jesus fully paid for. Okay? It says this in 2 Corinthians. Turn with me there. <clears throat> it's talking about the Holy Spirit and His power when He came. Give me one second. I'm going to get there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is verse um, 12. Yeah, verse 12 and 13. No, I'm, I'm wrong here. This is... Uh, yeah, okay, okay, let me go to Ephesians. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little, little twisted here. This is actually Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. It says, In whom Christ you are also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the down payment of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Jesus paid for a lot at that cross. When Jesus died, it was not a random occurrence for believers or for His disciples. It was not a random occurrence. It was a payment of the debt that was owed on our behalf. And so when Jesus died and the Spirit came, it was a fulfillment of that promise in, verse, in chapter 16, verse 7. It was a fulfillment of that. Okay, And so, as Jesus is moving them into this place of transition, he's, what He's trying to help them understand is that things are not necessarily changing from the course of your life. This is the natural progression. This is the movement from glory to glory to glory. I'm moving you into a, not into a different season, I'm moving you into a better season. I'm moving you into a better thing by the power of My Spirit who will come upon you and give you power. You see, before Jesus left and sent the Holy Spirit, the disciples had to go to Jesus for things. Okay, He said this when He talked about prayer. He said, you come to Me and you ask Me for things, but in that day you will say it in My name and it will be done. That's what it says in John chapter 15. Okay, And so, when Jesus left, if you read the book of Acts, that is exactly what happened. You watch Peter, this old fisherman dude, who was had no education whatsoever, give the first sermon ever and quote the prophet Joel, something he probably never really understood before. Okay, you see the Stephen going out and preaching to the Pharisees and many healings and power was going through the disciples. And so because of what Jesus did, the disciples became something different. 
They were a new creation through Christ Jesus. Okay, They had become something more than themselves. But in this current moment, they can't see that that is where Jesus is taking them. And many of us live in this same bubble often. We live in this bubble of believing that just because God is moving us through tough trials, that that means that God's giving up. Or sometimes we may not feel like God is taking us with Him on the journey, but really what He's doing is bringing us to a new place of higher anointing and to a new place of more power and more strength and more faith. See, in the stretching is where the faith comes. In the stretching and in the hard times, that's when the faith comes. We have to believe that. We have to rest in it and understand that the finished work of what Jesus did with a statement for the entirety of eternity to say, I'm never going to leave you again. It is finished. The work is done. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now I can go to 2 Corinthians. I can go to the verse I wanted to go to at the beginning. It says here in 2 Corinthians, But we commend ourselves... I'm sorry, verse 14. For the love of Christ constrains us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead, and then he died for all. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him who died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more after the flesh. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so we've got to understand our identity in Christ Jesus to be able to rejoice during the hard times. And the disciples were in that same place, and they didn't get it, unfortunately. And there's going to be many times in your life when you don't get it, okay? There's going to be many times in your life where you're walking, and it's going to be looking like, okay, well, Jesus is heading out of here, and I've probably sinned a lot, and I don't know if I necessarily had the right faith in this moment. I don't know if I was really preaching it right, or maybe... You know, I had this congregation of some sort, and when I was preaching this congregation, maybe I didn't pray for them at the right time, and now I'm moving and I'm getting kicked out of this church, or whatever it is, during that season, and you could be thinking to yourself, well, God must be done with me. But that's not the truth. God is never going to leave you nor forsake you. He's going to be with you until the end. And He has sealed you, as it said in Ephesians chapter 1, with the promise of His Holy Spirit. You are sealed in that. Locked away. Tightly locked in the hands of the Father. Because of what Jesus paid for. But the disciples didn't understand that. You could see that in their actions. After Jesus died, they all went their own way. Peter started fishing again. See, Peter and the rest of the disciples didn't believe that they were going to become anything. That God was going to use them to be anything. Or that they were going to be able to carry on this torch that Jesus had lit. But Jesus' purpose, and it was always His plan, to create a group of disciples that would carry on His message to thousands and millions of people. It was His ultimate scheme. God had a little behind-the-scenes plot. Jesus was not a one-off. He wasn't just a flash in the pan. He is the eternal Logos, the eternal Word of God. And His plan was always to 
create a family of believers. A family that in, in certain time would look just like Him walking on this earth. That would go out in power of the Holy Spirit. If you read the book of Acts, it's all up in there. That would go out in power and change the world through what He put inside of them. Romans 8.37 says we are more than conquerors through Christ. We are more than conquerors through Christ. But do you feel like a conqueror? Do you feel like you're anointed? Do you feel like you're powerful? A lot of the times the answer is no. We don't feel that way. Because, yes, John. You know, you're really hitting on the, one of the things that pastors really struggle with in the local church is a congregation that's saved, okay, but aren't discipled in how to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit, and they feel insufficient, mm-hmm. okay? And, and there's the idea that the pastor is yeah. the one who does the ministry, right? okay? Am I right, Cindy? Right, pastor, right. Pastor's right. wife over there. And so, so there's, there's a struggle there in the local church to train people in how to do ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and sometimes the pastors don't know how to train people. And then sometimes you get a church that they don't want to change. Yeah. So, you know, what you're saying is, is really good. The application of it, especially what I've just seen in the American yeah. church. It, it's hard. It's you yeah. know you, you got to fight for it. Yeah. And sometimes you know you're gonna have to deal with old Mrs. Roberts. It <laughs> doesn't want. As Rick says yeah. in the choir, old Mrs. Who does, Roberts. You know right, who Rick. says, "Oh, we've done it this way for this many years, and we ain't changing." You know. So. Yeah. But but you know, I, I think I just want to encourage you <clears> that you're on to something here that I've seen in my lifetime growing up in the church. I grew yeah. up. I grew up in a cross between the traditional church and contemporary. Yeah, I was growing yeah. up as the transition was as beginning become, yeah. to happen, and so I, I've I've been in both worlds, and there is a resistance, you know, there there is a resistance for the laity to become the priesthood of all believers, right. as you know, that's a seminary term or whatever, right. meaning that we operate in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? You know, Amen, Amen. Yeah, John. Thank you. No, it's good. Thank you. You know, John's right. There is this this move in the church that that doesn't necessarily believe that they are everything that God says they are. And it says here in you know, Colossians chapter two, verse nine and ten, it says, For in in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. You are complete. You are full in Christ. Jesus. You are who you were supposed to be in Christ Jesus. First Peter tells us we are a royal and holy priesthood. Okay? So the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, lives in us. But we have to believe that if we're going to see it happen. We have to continue to walk in that if we're going to see it happen. Okay? The devil wants you to believe that you are nothing. The devil wants you to believe that because of everything that your sin is, all of your flesh, all of your insufficiencies, all of your incompleteness in yourself, the devil wants you to believe that you are not worth it to God. That you don't have this power. And that this isn't who you are. It's not your identity. You're just old Joe Schmo who worked at the motor oil company and, you know, he cusses a lot on Saturdays. And so because of that, God can never use you, right? That's what the devil wants you to believe. That when you get rowdy at a football game two years ago, 
And let's say you've got a DUI, or you got drunk, you got handcuffed, or something like that. That God can't use you. Nope. No way possible, right? That's what the devil wants you to believe. But Jesus says a different thing about you. He says a different thing about me. Two years ago, I was strung out, man. Drinking every Saturday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. <laughs> Failing all my classes. Broke as a joke. Okay? And God changed my life. God changed my life. And Jesus turned me into something different. Am I special? No. Jesus loves me. And He loves you. And because of what He did at the cross, you matter. And you are powerful. And you are anointed. And you are a child of God. John chapter 1. John opens his gospel by explaining who we are. John chapter 1. He says here, verse 11, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He was in the, I'm sorry, he came unto his own, and his own received him not, speaking of the Jewish people. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on his name. Amen. Wow. Jesus. Jesus died for you to have the power to become a son of God. But you have to receive it. You've got to receive it. Jesus can't give you something you're refusing to receive. The Holy Spirit wants to come upon you in power and turn you into a disciple of Jesus Christ that walks like Peter, Simon Peter, in the book of Acts, that walks like Stephen or Paul. Look at Paul. Look who that guy became. This murdering, hate-filled, vile man became a disciple of Jesus Christ. Understand this. God has given you the power to become a child of God. A receiver of the inheritance. But it's up to you to receive it today. It's up to you by the power of the Holy Spirit knocking on your door to open the door. That's all you've got to do. And Jesus will change your life. I'm going to finish up with a prayer here and we're going to wrap it up. Jesus, thank you for bringing us into your family. Father, reach your people today and show them who they are. Show them that they have the name of Jesus Christ and that your testimony says a different thing about them. God, I pray your Spirit would go out through all of our lives today and would lead us into the power of the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. I pray a special blessing over these people in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord my God. Amen. Amen. Amen.